Welcome to the uh, Vineyard Podcast this week. We're continuing our series in the book of 2 Corinthians, Don't Lose Heart. And James, our senior pastor, is going to be speaking today. Hello, great to be with you today. My name's James and I'm continuing in our series, Do Not Lose Heart, in 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians, is showing us how in the midst of incredible difficulty. I mean, Paul has had a really, really rough time. Uh, Difficulty, trial, suffering, hardship, all of these things. How do you remain full of the Lord? How do you keep your heart full of hope? And I think that's something that many of us are trying to do. Yes, we might not be in the same persecution that Paul was going through. Absolutely not in any way in that place. But at the same time, for many, many people, it's been tough. And therefore, this this exhortation, do not lose heart, do not lose heart, is something that I want us to stand on as a church and to be filled with the courage that comes from on high. And so during this series, we've been looking at so many different things. We've been looking at the past and how what Jesus has done influences our hope for today. We've also been looking to the future and saying where our eternal hope lies affects what we do in the present as well. And in this letter, Paul is so deeply raw. He's, he's honest. He's, he's a man a little bit on the edge. And we see his vulnerability as he's speaking to this church, this Corinthian church. The, the key verses that I've kept coming back to throughout this series have been chapter 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And it is a day by day experience. It's not this one moment of God breaking in that we then live off for the next year. It's like actually it's the sustenance of each day. We've got to be before the Lord. We've got to be filled up with him for our light and momentary troubles, which don't feel light and momentary. But compared to the scope of eternity, they are are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're going to be based in chapter eight today. So grab your Bibles. I've called today The Generous Life. And so let's just jump straight in. Now, the background, chapters eight and nine are really a bit of a unit there together. And there's this economic crisis that's occurred in Jerusalem and the Jerusalem church and Christians were desperately financially struggling. The crops had failed, leading to famine. And then on top of this, Judaism has rejected the church and they were making their life really, really difficult by not buying from their businesses as well. So you've got kind of a double thing going on, which means that they are in deep distress with their finances. So so in response to, to this, Paul is collecting money from the church in Corinth and Macedonia and others. It's like doing this big offering for the Jerusalem church. So that's the background. Now, this is all slightly even more complicated than this because there is a little bit of suspicion between the Gentile Christians, the Corinthian church is Gentile Christians, and then you've got Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And there's some tension between these two groups. So there's a few underlying tensions that Paul's walking through. It's a bit like walking on eggshells. And we can, we feel, we pick that up in the text. But underlyingly, Paul is saying, we're one. We're one church. Let's support one another. 
We're the same family. We're one in Christ Jesus. He's saying unity, unity, unity. And, and Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about kingdom generosity. And he's challenging them on the one side. He, he, he's making them look at themselves. And on the, on the other side, he's encouraging them into this. He's inviting them into this. And he's showing them some keys about how do we live the generous life? How do we live a generous life? Now, generosity is an incredibly beautiful quality to behold. When you see generosity, when you see somebody being generous, it's captivating. You look at it, you're like, wow, that's amazing. Why? Because it's in God's heart. There's, there, there is a freedom that you see in kingdom generosity where people, I, I've used this analogy with giving before, financial, but when people have got their hands open, there's a difference between this which is so often the way when we're under pressure, what happens is we kind of go internal. We like this, we hold everything close. We don't trust, we don't give away. And that is the opposite to what we've got going on in kingdom dynamics. Kingdom economics is this, that there's an open handedness in that way that God can pour him, pour in. And at the same time, we're, we're open handed with everything that we have. Kingdom generosity is saying, I am not owned by the world and my possessions. I'm free. I live in an open-handed way. And, and when you see generosity or even experience it for yourself, it's, it takes your breath away. You're like, oh, wow. Generosity breaks down barriers because it speaks. And there are many different types of generosity from service to giving of our time to financial. But this section of scripture is specifically talking about financial generosity. Now, Jen and I have been on the receiving end many times of God's incredible generosity through God's people, because that's often how God works, isn't it? He uses his people. During our time together, we've twice been given cars, completely out of the blue, people that we really do not know that well. So this isn't even friends or family. They're people that we vaguely know who are part of the community who are like, do you want a car? One time, they even went further. They didn't only give me a car. They actually said, would you like me to pay your insurance for the first year? You're like, oh, let me think about it. Yes, yes, I really would. Um, we've received money through the letterbox. We, we have experienced kingdom generosity in so many different ways during our life. So you have that on the one side, which has been the recipient. But on the other hand... It is also beautiful to give and to be when it's on the other side, you know, th these were in times when we really didn't have very much and, you know, right on the edge and seeing God's provision breaking those moments, you're like, you're on your knees, you're like, God, you've got to provide and then bang, he does. And then on the other side, you've got that moment to be the blessing, to be the answer to somebody's prayer. Somebody's praying, oh God, would you bless? And you're like, well, actually God stirs you. And it's like, well, you could meet this need as well kingdom generosity so there's personal generosity but then there's also community generosity and I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate the incredible generosity of our community this community our church over the last you know we've been going for 12 years and we've seen extraordinary generosity during that time but particularly over the last five years as the church has really stepped in we have seen time and time again the community the church respond to need as we've moved forwards your generosity has enabled churches to be planted sites to be launched compassion compassion ministries to be 
started, people to be fed, kids and youth ministries to be strengthened. Generosity has enabled people to come to faith through the environments that we can create. There, I would say there is a great culture of generosity in our church and it is so important to me. I have seen our community give hundreds of thousands of pounds for those yet to come, for the people who aren't yet with us. Over the last 12 months, even in a tough financial situation, the church has given over £20,000 on top of normal giving to restore projects, um, food parcels, Christmas projects, tea advert. We have seen a number of gifts into the church from people saying, here is a gift of money for people that are struggling in your community. I, I just want to give it. I feel like the Lord has spoken to me. Do you, do you see whether you can, if there's people in your community that are struggling, can you pass that on to them? Now that is above and beyond, isn't it? It's not even, it's just, it's, it's the overflow of generosity. So as I stand before you today talking about the generous life and a generous community, I just wanted to start by saying I am so deeply proud and humbled by the incredible generosity of our community. That's genuinely how I feel. I, uh, I love being a part of it. One of our values as a church is outrageous generosity. Generosity that's not just kind of, oh, that was nice, that was generous. You know, that was a little bit. It's, it's outrageous. It's like, wow, that's incredible that you would go that far. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're beginning to see more and more outrageous generosity. And so just, I just want to thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Now, as we move into chapter eight, it starts by calling it the collection for the Lord's people. And it starts, verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, in this whole passage, Paul is lifting up the Macedonian church and he's setting them as an example to the Corinthian church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He's saying, look at the Macedonian church. I want you to see the generosity in their community. God has done a work in them and it is beautiful to behold. And I want you to catch something of what's going on in their hearts. In the midst, verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's quite a sentence. Overflowing joy, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were like, don't leave us, please let us give. We want to give towards this and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's now talking about the Corinthian church again. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you what to do, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And we'll pick up some other parts of the passage as we move on. But the, the word grace appears four times in these 11 verses, even more in the original Greek. And, and Paul wants us to understand 
that giving in lives of the followers of Jesus and Christians is different from any sort of giving. And verse one gives us the foundation for this passage and the foundation for our understanding of giving. Kingdom generosity is the overflow of grace. And it's essential that when we think about giving, whether that's our time or our service or our money or anything else, we see it as an outworking of this first verse, verse one. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches, the grace God has given. Paul doesn't say we want you to know what wonderful, selfless people we find in these churches. This is not simply a matter of some people having a naturally generous temperament. You know, it's like, well, they were kind of generous anyway and they were already doing it. People who are natural servants and helpers. Paul's saying, no, 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 get rid of those humanistic thoughts of how this might work. As you think about kingdom generosity, Paul is taking us further upstream than simply what a good man or woman or child is able to do. Up the river, past the people in the church, past the leaders, past the temperaments and characters and abilities, it goes further upstream all the way to the true source of any achievement in the Christian life and says this flows from the grace of God, comes out of the heart of God, comes from the throne of grace. So the Macedonian church has caught and understood and is living in God's incredible grace. So important that we understand this right from the beginning. The ability to give generously flows from the throne of grace and from the God of grace. It is a deep soul work, understanding that it is better to give than to receive. Now, being caught up in the economy of grace has lots of different similarities, but I found this imagery quite helpful of whitewater rafting. Now, when I was 18, I was out in Bolivia and I decided to go whitewater rafting, which was stupid, if I'm really honest. I'm not a very good swimmer. In fact, I'm a terrible swimmer. My... uh, My first swimming teacher, Betty Burke Whistle, that was genuinely her name, would tell you that I was not gifted and talented when it came to swimming. So anyway, I've been persuaded. There was a group of us and they're like, yeah, come whitewater rafting. I'm standing on the edge. I don't know whether, I've never seen a river like it, but it was huge. This was not the river Taff. When you think, you know, a little river, this was massive. The water's like going so fast. Sitting there thinking, I I almost get heart palpitations thinking about it now just thinking about even stepping into this boat. I remember I got caught under the boat. Can you imagine being, and and I came up and I bobbed my head up and I was like, oh no, I'm stuck under the boat. So anyway, it has some, not always the most uh, amazing imagery for me, whitewater rafting, But, but the point that I'm trying to make, it's one thing to watch the water from the safety of the bank and to look at it or even to get in the raft and kind of paddle on on the edge of it, it is another thing to get right into the middle of the river. And there is a blessing in giving, which we can only experience when we leave the safety of the shore and when we get into the boat, when we actually do it. You can talk about it, you can think that it's a good idea. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I really should. But until you actually step into it, until you get into the stream, you know, this picture of God's grace, that's what the, the river's like, and you get in the middle, then you don't really understand what it looks like. So kingdom generosity is the overflow of grace. And then kingdom generosity, secondly, proves, proves the depths of grace, the depth of grace. 
So verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There was such an abundance of grace on the Macedonian Christians that despite their poverty materially, there was this dynamic of overflowing and welling up generosity. This, this is a heart issue. Money is a great revealer of our hearts. Where we put our money shows us what we truly value. Now, the Macedonians lived in Macedonia, northern Greece, and Paul is particularly referring to the churches he had planted in Philippi and Thessalonica. And the Romans had taken over most of the profitable industries around there. They'd taken over the gold and the silver and they'd taken the trees from the cities to build ships. So they basically looted Macedonia. And in addition, many of them were suffering persecution from the surrounding culture. So they were desperately poor is the point that I'm trying to make. And yet we see this overflowing joy as they gave. When a person's life is truly touched by the grace of God, one of the clear signs of this will be that a naturally stingy person becomes generous. It's like the shift in what happens because there is an understanding of the grace of God. Generosity wells up. And when we comprehend the enormity of what we've received from God, we become more like him. Paul Barnett in his commentary writes, only a real appreciation of God's grace to us can prompt us to give cheerfully. As Paul taught Timothy, our hope isn't in wealth, which is so uncertain, but in God who richly provides us with everything that we need. Notice it's not everything that we want, it's everything that we need. Now, in times of economic um, challenge, in times of uncertainty, instead of holding on tighter to what makes us feel secure, money is one of those classic examples of things, oh, just secure me. Instead, we're called to be open-handed, to be generous. And, and um, chapter eight, verse eight says, Paul says to them, to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm not commanding you. Giving is not a should and an ought and a law for Christians. I am not commanding you to do this. But he goes on, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest of others. I want you to look at the Macedonians who are so wonderfully demonstrating God's grace in their lives. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 8, 24. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. You've received so much grace. Now let's see to what extent that grace is evidenced in your life. Show the proof of it. Billy Graham once beautifully said, well, our, our checkbook, this was slightly few years ago wasn't it our checkbook is a theological document it tells you what you believe in and I think that's really true just go through your bank account look what you spend your money on because it shows you what you value well I value this and I value this and I value this and then Paul goes on to use Jesus as the example what giving looks like verse 9 you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty, might become rich. No one ever gave more than Jesus. No one became poorer than Jesus. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He, was, he literally had no possessions at all. And yet in this life he was rich. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So kingdom generosity is the overflow of grace. Kingdom generosity proves the depths of grace and then we've got Paul's exhortation as we move into the next verses which or verse 7 which is excel in this grace of giving 
We know from other parts of Paul's letters to the Corinthians that they were an incredibly blessed church. Going back to chapter one, verses four to seven, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. You do not lack any spiritual gift. And here Paul says, given that level of grace, which has so enriched you as a church, excel in the flow of that grace. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in, you see that you also excel in this grace of giving. As a church, the Corinthians were experiencing abundance in so many different areas. People were getting healed. Spiritual gifts were were flowing all over the place. And the church was growing with um, people who come to faith from a culture every bit as messed up as our own. The Corinthian church was a messed up place. But as a church, they were hugely blessed and wonderfully resourced. A bit like our church. We've been hugely blessed and wonderfully resourced. And whether you feel your own life is like that or not, the truth is that if if we really stop to count our blessings, we'll realise that God has showered his grace upon us. Blessing after blessing after blessing. And it's how we look at it. The grace of God being abundantly poured into our lives. And Paul is saying, don't let it stop there. So he's, what he's saying to the Corinthian church is, don't let the blessings of God just come upon you. Let it overflow. Let it go out from here. John Wright tells this story about generosity, which I find really helpful. And it's the tale of the two seas. You've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And they are as different as it's possible to get from one another. So you've got the Dead Sea and it's called dead because nothing lives in it. No fish, no plants. And its salt content is over 30%. It's nine times saltier than the Mediterranean. So it's basically really salty and really muddy. And it's so dense that actually people kind of bob around. It's very difficult to go under the surface. Now, so you've got the Dead Sea on the one hand and then you've got the Sea of Galilee, which is and they're very close to each other, which is a freshwater lake and it's full of life. It's full of fish and plants. Why is one lake teeming with life and the other dead? Well, water flows into both from the mountains around them, but the River Jordan flows out of the Sea of Galilee and into the Dead Sea. And nothing at all flows out of the Dead Sea. It just stops. There's no way out. Water comes in, but it doesn't go out. It's a recipient of fresh water, but it has no outlet. And can you see the parallel? Grace flows into our lives and God blesses us and we have these blessings. And that's what he's talking about with the Corinthian church. You've got all of these blessings. He's lavished them upon us. Um, We're beneficiaries of the incomparable riches of his grace poured out on us abundantly. But is this grace overflowing or does it just flow in and stop like the Dead Sea? Is the abundance poured out from our lives as well as into our lives? Are we teeming with life like the Sea of Galilee or are we dead? Are we tapping into God's economy of grace, receiving, giving, receiving, giving? Let it come in, let it go out. Or are we just receiving? And then it just stops and it begins to die. And unless we give it out, it's a kingdom principle. Unless we give it away, what has been given to us, then it dies. 
In these two chapters, Paul is using this picture of the flow of grace to refer to money. But of course, it refers to everything that we've received from God and everything which flows out of that. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Our willingness to serve, our time, our love and care for others, our readiness to forgive, our sharing of the gospel of grace, our our willingness to lend of our stuff, to share our homes, our lives, our knowledge, and on and on and on to live and give generously in every area of our life. The generous life. Living generously is the overflow of grace. Rowan Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, giving is more than simply giving something back to God. Calculating what amount or even percentage is acceptable. Giving is being caught up in the flow of God's gracious giving and being caught up in grace. Now come back to that analogy of the river. It's like being caught up in that flow that comes from the throne of God. It's being in that rather than looking in on it. Excel in this grace of giving. So a question for each one of us, and it's a question that I have to ask myself. Am I growing in generosity? As the years go by, as I mature in my faith, it talks about grow up in our faith. I want to grow up before I grow old is a Wimberism. But as in, in the same way that we grow in our intimacy with the Lord and our time spent with him in our worship, are we also growing in our generosity? Am I growing in generosity? Over the last 12 months, it's been very easy to become even more internal in our lives, to live more smaller lives as our worlds have shrunk. But actually there's an invitation from God, which is always there, that as the Lord pours himself in, that we give it out, that we keep giving it out and out and out and out. So how do we get into this place of this grace flowing? How do I get in touch with this overflow of grace? Well, I think the key is in verse five to the whole passage says they went beyond our expectations. These are the Macedonians having given themselves first of all to the Lord. Severe trouble, trial, extreme poverty, rich generosity. The message translation reads this and I think it's really helpful. In verse five, what explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. It's brilliant, isn't it? It kind of answers the question, well, how do you do this? If we give ourselves unreservedly to God, generosity is the natural overflow of all that he pours into our lives. It just comes out. Later in the letter, Paul says to the Corinthians, what I want is not your possessions, but you. I want you. And that's what God would say to each one and every one of us. What I want is not your possessions, but, but you. This is not about amounts of pounds and pence. This is about giving ourselves fully to the Lord, fully surrendering our lives to him. And the only explanation for the extraordinary generosity of the Macedonians was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to the Lord. And the other giving simply, the generosity just flowed out of that place of complete surrender and commitment. And if we haven't given ourselves fully to the Lord, then every time we hear something about giving or generosity, every pound that we part with will be a struggle because ultimately it's mine and I'm holding on to it and it's mine and I'm going to lean on this for security and I've earned it it's like no 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 God gave it to you yes you might have worked hard for it I'm, that's not what I'm saying but he's the gift giver and if you and I choose to give ourselves the issue of how much we give from our resources becomes secondary it's all his with the attitude of giving it all it's now just a question of how much would the Lord have us live on? And how much would he invite us to part with? 
Some who have greater means might respond to the grace poured out on them by giving a much higher proportion of their income than they might have previously considered. Ensuring, first of all, that their giving to their local churches is in place, and on top of that, they keep an ear out to the needs of others. It's like, where do I have an opportunity to bless? Lord, you have poured this into me. How can I bless? How can I be a blessing? Blessed to be a blessing. So whether you're wealthy or, you know, things are difficult right now, the, the vital thing to understand is this. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. It's the invitation of grace, of receiving and giving and receiving and giving and receiving and giving. And God is inviting us to be like the Sea of Galilee, full of life and vibrancy. Let's not be like the Dead Sea, where the Lord pours things in and then it just stops there. It's like it just dies there. It's like, no, no, no. We get to be full of life and vibrancy. And that's the flow of generosity, that we bring life to those that we come into contact with. They see the generosity of the Lord in us. That we learn to live the generous life. And we learn that kingdom generosity is the overflow of grace. So I'm just going to pray in finishing. Lord, this is a journey that we keep growing in. And Lord, I want to keep growing in this journey. Outrageous generosity. Because you're outrageous. Lord, I never want to reach the point where it's become all about my stuff and me and my things. Lord, it's all yours. Lord, I want to be a great steward and I want us, our church, to be known for its incredible generosity across this city. Would that be what we're known for? And when people are oh, like, they are really generous people. And they've caught something of the heart of God to be generous. To open us up. In Jesus' name. Amen.